Welcome to your Relationship Lovecast by True Potential, the weekly web show and podcast that explores relationships and wellness, featuring in-depth interviews with acclaimed authors, wellness experts, health influencers, and spiritual leaders so that you can create a relationship and life you love. And now your host, Andrea Carella. Hello everyone, Andrea Carella here, and you are listening to episode 10 of your Relationship Lovecast by True Potential. Today, we are going to be talking about freedom, overcoming addiction. Now, I know with this being the technology age of computers, social media, instant gratification, and the constant hustle and bustle, it is so easy to get caught up in the whirlwind of go, 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 and nonstop ambition. Plus, to disconnect, we also fall into the trap of numbing ourselves through shopping, drinking, and eating. Many of the clients that I work with say that they work hard and play hard so that this way of living ultimately really leaves them feeling tired, empty, and disconnected. I can relate feeling burnt out and fatigued myself in the pursuit of my own ambitious endeavors and sacrificing my own self-care from time to time in the process. In order to help us break out of negative and addictive patterns and start living a more joy-filled life, I have invited Nisha Moodley, who is a women's empowerment coach and the creator of Fierce, Fabulous, Free, inspired by the belief that the world will be set free by women who are free and that sisterhood is the key to making that a reality. Nisha leads communities of ambitious women to design lives of incredible freedom and adventure. She is a regular contributor to The Daily Worth and has been featured on CNN, Health.com, and The Daily Love. Thank you, Nisha. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Great. So could you please briefly start off and share your story about how addictive behaviors played a role in your life and what you did to break out of them? I actually have struggled with food addiction in my life. I was a smoker for many years, so that was part of it. it feels so strange to say now because that seems like another lifetime. And I also had a shopping addiction for a while. I was, you know, like just shopping in order to get my hit each day. And then when I became an entrepreneur, I at one point realized, wow, I'm actually a workaholic. And I'm not only working all the time, but using work to avoid the things that are going on in my life. It wasn't until probably about 2010 that I really started to get what freedom is because that was when I started to step out of my final real addiction, which was workaholism. Addictions played a big role in my life. I think I've probably been, an, I was probably an emotional eater from the time I was a very little girl and, you know, kind of learned that in this sort of like slightly tumultuous upbringing, my parents divorced when I was young and was kind of a messy divorce. And so I lived between my mom and my dad. That food was a great way for me to feel love and to show love to the people who were feeding me. My grandmothers, my mom, my dad. And it also became, you know, kind of my friend, a way that I could escape whatever I was feeling. And so I could just eat my emotions. So struggled for many years with emotional eating. I thought it was just kind of normal to numb out with food. I didn't know another way. And it wasn't until I went through a breakup in my early 20s that I realized, oh my gosh, this is actually a thing that I'm struggling with. 
And I, I was about to dive headlong into food and sort of cho- chose a different path and got really into yoga. But then the shopping addiction came up and um, struggled with addiction for a lot of my life. And ultimately, there were a lot of different things that helped me get out of one addiction, but I would just find my way back into a different addiction. Yoga, for example, was a really healthy way to get me out of my food addiction, begin to reconnect with my body again. But then I had the shopping addiction. And so ultimately, what I did to break out of addiction as a whole in the end, which was in around 2010, being more vulnerable in community. In other words, sharing with my friends what was really going on with me, what I was really feeling. And before that, I had been a master at having things look really good in my life. You know, no matter what I was going through, where I was in the throes of my addiction, I could kind of, you know, put on a nice outfit and put on a happy smile and do well at work and be successful. And nobody would really know what was going on with me. And, um, and so to actually share, hey, beneath this veneer of everything is great, there's actually everything isn't great. And to share that with my friends was a massive um, part in helping me overcome my addiction. And that's where the world will be set free by women who are free and sisterhood is the key to a woman's freedom came from. And of course, it's not just limited to, to women. I really just admire your transparency and your openness, authenticity. I think that it's such a gift you share with so many people. And I think it's something that in your modeling, I think it, it allows, and in all of our modeling, really, uh, to be vulnerable and, and open um, with those that are part of our community and part of our, our care support system that can really help take that, you know, shame that some of us feel, that all of us really feel in one area of our life or another. And by shining a light on that with empathy, it allows it to be transformed and ultimately set free so that we can break out of those patterns that are unhealthy for us. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that there are so many people on the call that face that or have experienced any number of those addictive patterns or challenges that that many of us face. How do these addictive patterns of behavior negatively impact relationships? Well, I'll use a personal story to kind of go into this. What made me realize that I was actually a workaholic was I was married. I'm divorced now. We're very good friends. And, you know, at the time I was married and my husband and I were in an argument and he was really upset and I could sort of feel myself going a little numb in our argument. And all of a sudden, I just threw my hand up in the air, and I and I was very exasperated. And I said, I don't have time for this. I have work to do. And I turned around, and I went to my laptop, and I sat down at my laptop. And there is my husband, the most important person in my life, distraught, really upset, angry, hurt, and I'm just numb and on my computer <laughs> working. I realized in that moment this is a problem. The most important person in my life is really upset right now and really hurt right now. And I'm using my drug, which was work at that time, over, I'm choosing it over my relationship. It wasn't so malicious, right? It wasn't so thought out 
that I was literally standing there thinking, do I choose him? Do I choose this? But my actions were such that I was choosing work over him. And ultimately, I wasn't really choosing anything. I was, I was choosing disconnection over connection, you could say, because I had the opportunity to be in connection with him or even be in connection with my work. But I was just disengaging. I was doing anything to get away. I get, as someone who struggled with addiction, that it was never that I didn't care about him. It wasn't that I didn't love him. It wasn't that I wanted to choose my work over him. It was just that I couldn't handle staying with the intensity of the emotion and I wanted something to get away. But what I understand now is that from his perspective, that was very hard to, to grasp because he was in the pain of, oh, I can't believe you're walking away from me in my pain to go sit at your laptop and write sales copy. This is so messed up. I think one of the ways that we have to realize it impacts relationships negatively is that while we may not, we, while we may recognize we don't have bad intentions, there is actually a real impact over there. And often it feels like our addiction is being given preference or importance over this real in the flesh human being. I think of addiction as in, in part an inability to sit with discomfort. So it was my inability to sit with the discomfort of his pain and our confusion and the questions about where we're going in our relationship that had me want to check out. And it happened to be work. It could have been food. It could have been uh, cigarettes or alcohol or drugs. It could have been anything in that moment. It just my drug of choice happened to be work. And so I think that the, the impact on relationships can be really far-reaching. The impact of choosing disconnection over connection because it's painful to sit with the discomfort that happens sometimes in connection because human relationships are not perfect. <laughs> They're not all like happy and roses and rainbows and unicorns all the time. Right. It's not like a, a Snow White uh, right. a Disney film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so when it wasn't a Disney film, it was very hard for me to sit with. And so I would want to check out and realizing that over time, you do that enough and it creates really deep cracks in the foundation or it can create really deep cracks in the foundation of a relationship. I am happy with my life now. I don't have any regrets um, about the way that things turned out. And like I said, my ex-husband and I are great friends. But if someone, for example, were in a marriage or in a job or had a child and noticed that you keep bouncing out of connection because there's some discomfort there sometimes into bouncing out of connection into disconnection, know that that's actually creating or has the potential to create very deep fractures in the foundation of the relationship. And the relationship can end. You know, I'm not married anymore. And I needed at that time that wake-up call that the choice to lean into disconnection over and over and over was actually destroying my relationship. And I didn't want to be present to that either, how my action in that moment was was contributing to it, but it was. And I think that oftentimes we're at a crossroads. We have different crossroads in our life of those wake-up call moments. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're big. And I think we always have a choice. Do we go down the familiar route that is leading to negative consequences 
or do I go down this unfamiliar path that has potential positive consequences and being able to tolerate the even joy and tolerating good yeah. feelings as well and, and being able to resolve conflict and, and being able to have the tools to be able to do so. I oftentimes I've worked with uh, with couples and and addiction comes to mind like sex addiction for example which we haven't talked about before but that is another way that that people can turn away from the relationship and seek out fill that void that they feel inside through sex or through external relationships as a way of coping and dealing with the challenges of the the primary relationship and how that escape uh, like you mentioned, does create these long-term fractures that really cracks in the foundation of the of the house of the the mm-hmm. house that you call your relationship. And if things keep getting swept under the carpet for a long period of time, it builds up a lot of resentment. It builds up a habit that um, becomes very familiar and what your go-to is. And it's almost in a way like cheating on your your partner because you're reaching out to something else, and it creates this this kind of wall between and a barrier between husband and wife or partner and partner in that process. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's so powerful. I don't think people even realize what happens in the brain that makes it so difficult to uh, shift that that emotional process because it's the primal, it's connected to the primitive part of our brain, which is at the reptilian part of our brain, which is just our, our survival automatic auto response. And it's connected to our emotion. And the last end of the line is the the prefrontal cortex where we actually can make conscious choices. And I think oftentimes people say, oh, well, just will yourself to change or work harder or try harder. But the thing is, is if you don't substitute that behavior with something else, it's like a vacuum that you just fall into that that same old pattern of behavior of coping, that emotional center that's so primitive and automatic, it's very difficult to break out of that unless you have a support system in place to help you change those patterns or be able to be keep it top of mind and be conscientious of how that process of disconnection impacts your life and making conscientious choices to do things in a in another way. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important for people to know and, and to be aware of on the call as well. Mm, love that. What are some of the new habits and routines uh, our listeners need to incorporate in their lives to break free from the addictive patterns of, of behavior? Well, so it's really interesting. I remember I mentioned that I smoked for a handful of years and I remember at one point I went to my doctor's office and I said, you know, I, I think I want to quit smoking. I should, I should quit smoking. That's what I said. I should quit smoking. You know, can you help me? This is years ago. And he said, well, do you want to quit smoking? And I said, well, I mean, I should. And he said, well, you're not going to quit until you want to. And so I sort of walked out of the office and like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to quit until I want to. And that kind of stuck with me a little bit. And I was out of cigarettes and I was thinking, okay, I'm going to drive to the gas station and get some cigarettes. And as I was driving, I I remember thinking to myself, I'm not going to quit until I want to, until I'm ready. That was what it was, until I'm ready. And it dawned on me in that moment, wait a minute, I'm never going to be ready. This is never going to be easy. I'm never going to want to do this. (laughs) 
this isn't really a habit or routine, but just sort of like the overall overarching mindset that was really helpful for me, which was, I may never be ready. I may never want to, this may never be easy. But in that moment, I said to myself, I thought to myself, I'm going to choose it. I'm just going to choose it. I don't feel ready. I don't particularly want to, but I want something bigger for myself. I want a bigger life. I'm making the decision. And I remember driving right by the gas station and I've never touched a cigarette since. And there, you know, there were tools, which we'll talk about. But from a mindset perspective that I may never be ready, I'll just make myself ready today. I'm going to decide it today. I'm going to choose it today um, because I want to have a bigger life. So a couple of habits or routines. One is I have a saying, which is never be sad alone. And so whenever I'm starting to go into sadness and somebody else might have a go-to emotional home, anger, frustration, whatever it may be, there's a tendency that when we, when we go into that place, we want to do it, we want to go into isolation and do it alone, feel that feeling alone. And so whenever I felt sadness, I would want to isolate up in my bedroom Um, I would want to hide away from my friends and not tell them what was going on. And then next thing you knew, there were potato chips or this or that or whatever my addiction of the moment was. It changed things radically to adopt, never be sad alone. And to actually not heed my, my own instinct to isolate and say, no, that's my old patterning which is to isolate and to feel shameful and to not want to share and not want to burden anyone with this. And instead, I'm going to choose to connect. And I would just pick up the phone and call a girlfriend and say, I'm just having a a difficult moment right now and just share it with them. And they didn't have to fix it. I just needed someone else to witness me in it. And sometimes they would give me advice and sometimes not. But the key point there was this choice point where I could kind of isolate myself or notice, I'm feeling an uncomfortable emotion. Let me not do this alone. Let me not feel this alone. Let me share it. And it's been game-changing for me in my life, for the life of so many of the women that I work with. So that's one thing. Um, The other thing was noticing every time I wanted to reach for whatever it might be, my laptop, to walk into the store and just look at those shoes that I had, you know, 180 pairs of. I don't know about 180, but a lot. Um, (laughs) Every time that I wanted to reach for a cigarette or a drink or food and to ask myself in that moment, how do I want to feel before I go in, before I touch it? Like just checking in, how do I want to feel? And create, adding in this habit of how do I want to feel, asking myself that for real and not backing away from asking myself. I would often notice that however I wanted to feel, the, the, the shoes, the cookie, whatever, wasn't actually going to help me feel that way. So there was a way that the shoes or the cookie were kind of taking me out of discomfort and giving me this sort of sugar high. But how I really want to feel isn't really a sugar high. There's more depth to how I want to feel. So just asking that has been game changing. So never be sad alone. How do I want to feel? Another big thing is that every morning I ask myself three questions and it really helps me set my day on the right track. 
And I find that when I started asking myself these questions, it completely changed my level of presence throughout my day and my ability to kind of zero in and focus without getting anxious and overwhelmed and all of the, the things that would often drive me to eat or shop. And the questions, there are three of them. And when I got started, before I had them memorized, I would write them on a post-it note, a sticky note, and put it right on my phone so that as soon as I woke up, I would pick it up and I would see that right away. And I would just stop for a moment and ask myself these questions. And the questions are, the first one is, why? And I like to say that we have a why for us and a why for the world. And your why is like your future vision for your life or your future vision for the world. I think so many of us get up and we just kind of get into the to-do list, the things that we have to do in a day. And if we're going from that place, there can be this a lot of disconnection, a lot of anxiety, a lot of overwhelm, a lot of feeling kind of depressed about the circumstances of our life. We're not feeling like we're working towards necessarily a bigger thing, feeling connected to something bigger. And so I love in the morning just laying in my bed and just envisioning what, what, what does the future um, for me, my future that I'm working towards today? Why? why? Why get out of bed? What am I working towards? And then my why for the world is my future vision for the world. You know, what is the world that I want to wake up today, get dressed, have a shower, get dressed, do all the things that I've got to do. And yeah, check off those things on the to-do list in service of this future vision. What is that vision? So the first question is why? And the second question is, what do I really need to do today? And you know, I think part of it is that we we just live in such a busy society. Like, go, 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 go. We're just going all the time. Most people that you talk to, if you say, how are you doing? The, many people will answer busy, which isn't even really a feeling, although I guess we've turned <laughs> right. it into a feeling, right? <laughs> we've I changed the term. Right. It's, it's true. We're so freaking busy. We've got, you know, we get to the end of the day and we don't feel like we even you know, knocked off the tip of the iceberg of the to-do list. And the feeling that that creates in us, of course we want an escape. Of course we want a drink. Of course we want... Or keep working to catch up. Yeah, to keep working. Because we're not actually... We're spinning our wheels often. So I love asking this question, what do I really need to do? Because the truth is, of course, if I wanted to sit down right now and create a to-do list of all the things I could possibly do, I would have a list that you know, if I really sunk into it, I could throw myself into some sort of mild depression over it. And, um, and when I sit in the morning and I ask, what do I really need to do when I'm still in that early morning sort of sleepy state, I can often get really clear, all right, this thing has to be done and this thing has to be done. You know, if nothing else got done, those are actually the really most important things. And yeah, the inbox actually can wait a little bit. And that load of laundry that I was maybe going to get distract myself into doing, that can also wait. But these two things, let me do those first. Those are the most important things. That's what I really need to do today. And it might also remind me like, oh, I need to call my mom back, <laughs> you know, or I need to have that conversation with my husband or I need to, you know, take care of this thing that I've been avoiding. And then the third question is, what would make me proud? When I'm asking that, I imagine, okay, when I'm laying here tonight in bed and I'm reflecting on my day, what would make me really proud? 
And that helps me uh, approach my day really holistically. Because yeah, I could check everything off the to-do list, but if I snapped at my partner and, you know, didn't say hello to my kids and didn't forgot to eat because I was working and never had a shower all day, would I feel especially proud? Like my ta- I knocked a bunch of stuff off the to-do list, but like there's a feeling like I wasn't fully Like a yucky there. feeling. Yeah. <laughs> and so what would make me proud helps me remember things like Oh, I would feel really proud if even though I think I have a lot to do right now, I sit down and do my meditation practice. If even though I might get triggered today, I'm not going to reach for a cigarette or I'm not going to, you know, go into that old habit. Or I said yesterday that I would start taking a walk on my lunch break. It would make me really proud if I did that, if I followed through on that. So those three questions really have helped me anchor in my day. And then from there, I move into a morning ritual. When I was working with women around emotional eating, one of the big routines that we would get in place is that they would ask themselves questions in the morning, like these questions in the morning, and then go into some sort of morning ritual. And the morning ritual could be getting a cup of tea and sitting by the window and writing in her journal, or sitting down for a meditation practice, or going for a jog, I think there are a lot of different things that we could do and just finding something that we do every morning consistently that grounds us into like healthy patterning for our day. So those are a few of the habits or routines that I've found really helpful. That's great. And now I know for myself, uh, I was getting in the habit of having my iPod, which is also my alarm, as the first thing that I check in the morning and I was noticing that it it was there visible and I would... you know, automatically start checking it. And I said, you know what? I don't like the way that I feel when I do that. And I need to do something differently. And so I started even on my computer and on my iPod, I wrote a post-it note, coincidentally, exactly what you suggested. Mm-hmm. And I wrote down, I actually, I wrote it down that at the end of a day that I did not do my morning routine so I could remember how I felt. And I wrote down all the physiological and emotional feelings that I felt as a result of not doing my morning routine so that I could consciously put that unconscious awareness into conscious awareness so I could start with intention knowing that if I choose to check my iPod, this will be the consequence of it so that I know what I – that I – I'm choosing that if I go for it. (laughs) Or uh, on the opposite side, if I do my morning routine, and I actually, the suggestion that you you, uh, suggested, I I heard that a a couple weeks ago, and I started incorporating that into my morning routine as well, of what my why is for my life and what my why is for the world. Mm -hmm. And I actually created a, a very heartfelt, emotional uh, description of what I want that life and what I want to create in the world. And then I incorporated yoga with it. So then that way I'm getting into a physiological uh, meditation. And I found that that was really powerful. Uh, And then also being able to have that morning routine where you go outside and there's birds uh, singing and just having that breakfast and being in the sunshine is just such a great way to start your day and has such a an improved well-being element to just jumping into work or jumping into those old patterns of behavior that that lead to not such a good place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
uh, what are some of the ways for our listeners to develop their self-confidence and resiliency in the face of adversity, uh, obstacles, and challenges in their lives? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a time when I was really trying to make sure that I never had to face adversity, obstacles, or challenges in my life. I was like, oh, if I could just figure out how to get out of that problems in my life, then things would be great. And I think actually a lot of us operate from that place. Like, how can I just get rid of adversity or challenge or obstacle? But, you know, life is life. And right. Maybe it would be boring without that, and it just, you know, they, they keep some sometimes coming. It develops our character. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is that we're not always confident, but we can be committed. And the biggest thing, actually, for me, in, in my opinion, is having this connection to the why. It's been game-changing for me and for so many of my clients to get really clear about what is this, what is a future vision for myself and for the world. And there are times when something happens in life, you know, my mom gets sick or I am going through like some monthly hormonal fluctuation, something happens and I wake up in the morning and I'm like, I don't know, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And the thing that gets me up on those days is the connection to why I'm doing what I'm doing and what it's all for. And, and having that connection to the bigger why I've found time and again has us lean into, okay, I may not feel super confident right now, but I'm committed And that commitment alone can help me stand up and show up. And what I found is that when we continually stand up and show up in commitment, even in the face of adversity and challenge, it actually helps us develop our confidence. And it is a way of bolstering resiliency in our lives. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I'm reading or I I actually finished reading Brene Brown's book, The Gift of Imperfection. And I think Mm -hmm. it's not perfection, it's progress. Just as long as we're moving slowly in that direction, we're progressing for that bigger why. And sometimes thinking about that why beyond ourselves gives us power and strength. And when we all feel low, you know, or or down or or stumble and fall, which we all face uh, from time to time, being able to have that support system to reach out to. And if we don't do that, if we try to deal with that in secrecy or in silence, that shame or that discomfort or that loneliness or that pain can really fester inside of us and, and really cause more problems than actually just reaching out for help. I know a lot of times it, it takes a, a big step for people that are struggling to actually reach out for help because they think, oh, I should do it on my own or I need to push through this. But I think really giving yourself permission to take care of yourself and be taken care of is is really important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the more we do it, the more we have, the more we reach out when we need support, the more we make it okay in the world for people to reach out when they need support and that's what we need more of. Absolutely. I think I think especially with the technology age and everything, we we think we're more connected but in a way we're becoming more disconnected. And so I think really fostering those 
day-to-day relationships where we make that a priority, where we make relationships and friendships a priority in our busy schedule, that we make room for that. Because if we keep it so busy where there's no breathing room in our schedule, we don't have any of those self-care moments or those moments to create maybe new friends that could be transformative in our lives, that it's important to create space in your in your schedule so you're not jam-packed. Yeah. Those serendipitous moments can really uh, touch your life. I know for me, I lived in Italy uh, for two years and creating that space, I think the culture in Italy creates a space for connection. And it's, I think, a, a very important value of the culture is that you have an hour and a half lunch. You go home from work and you go home and you eat lunch with your family in the middle of the day, which is just such a nice routine that uh, unfortunately our society doesn't promote it. But if we have the possibility of creating that for ourselves in whatever quantity or, or amount, it can really shift how we feel and those relationships that we that we can create. Mm. Mm-hmm. So what are the benefits of incorporating these new routines and habits? What are the top three characteristics that our audience needs to develop within themselves to follow through on implementation of, of these steps? Well, I think the big benefit is freedom. If we are not using things in our lives addictively to numb us out, to help us escape discomfort. If there's no back door that we're using and we just have to sit with whatever is right in front of us, then we're actually alive. We're actually alive while we're living. And if we're actually alive while we're living and we come to learn, wow, I'm actually way stronger than I thought. I actually can. I actually do have the capacity to sit in discomfort I actually do have the capacity to hold all this love. And sometimes holding all that love is uncomfortable and we use things to get away from that too. So I actually have the capacity. I'm way bigger than I thought I was. And when we realize that about ourselves, there's freedom. And that freedom allows us to actually turn our attention on making the world a more free place, bettering our planet. And so I think that the benefit is like, I can't even wrap my mind around the scope of the benefit of this because when one of us has freedom, it trickles out throughout the world on a micro level within ourselves to actually have it so that everything we ever need, we can source from within and just reflect, have this like infinity loop of reflecting beauty out into the world and then taking in all of the beauty of life and reflecting that back into ourselves. And then rather than being in the cycle of like fear and disconnection. And when the infinity loop starts transforming from fear and disconnection to love and connection and beauty, like, wow, that just is not only our lives, but the people that we interact with from day to day and the world. So I think that the the top three characteristics that we need to develop within ourselves, one is, and they all have to do with connection. One is a connection to a deeper desire, a connection to our why, our future vision for ourselves, our connection to our why for the world or our future vision for the world. 
our connection to a deeper desire around how we want to feel from moment to moment, kind of circling back to that, that habit of asking when you're, when we're about to reach for or fall into an old habit, wait, how do I want to feel? Really? How do I want to feel? As opposed to just fulfilling this surface want, actual connection to deeper desire. That's one thing. The second thing is a connection to community, to friends. And I'll smuggle in with this <laughs> characteristic, a willingness to share what's going on. So I've always said that I have great friends. I always have had great friends. But for a long time, I was unwilling to share what was really going on. And I went through some like decently major experiences in my life without telling anyone because I was so ashamed. And part of what created that willingness was realizing if I want to live in a world where people aren't feeling the way I'm feeling right now, I'm actually going to have to be willing to share and open up the space so that when my friends need me, they know they can come to me too. And so a willingness to be in the sometimes discomfort of being open, being vulnerable, sharing what's really going on with us. And then the third is a connection to daily practice, to rituals. It's really a, a con connection to our commitment. And, you know, one of the things I want to say here is that we often try to go, okay, well, I know what my perfect life would look like. I'm just going to overhaul everything immediately. And then we decide that, like, starting on Monday, we're going to juice every morning. We're going to run for 30 minutes every day. We're going <laughs> to meditate. We're going to start drinking water. We're going to go for a walk at lunch. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do like these 85 new things. And we substitute Monday, the overwhelm with all this other good stuff, yeah. but just too much. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like perfection addiction. <laughs> so choosing like, like you said, progress over perfection. Okay, great. Let me embrace like this one new habit this week or these two new habits this week. Simple, simple. I can't not win. I'm going to make these so easy for myself. And having those, the commitment to daily practice around these, I like to call them rituals because when I call it a ritual, for me anyways, that works. It might not work for everyone. But for me, when I think of getting outside and going for a walk every morning, when I think of it as a ritual instead of I need to work out, it's like, ooh, this is my ritual. It feels like it's for me and not a punishment or you know something that I need to check off my list but something that's for me, that feeds me. Yeah, so those I think are the, the top three characteristics. Great. So I know that you have some uh, good, free, fun goodies for our listeners today. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about uh, your free Take Flight Action Guide and where our listeners can find you and stay connected to you? Yeah, so my Take Flight Action Guide is, um, I mean, I think it's really cool. It's a downloadable uh, PDF. Um, so you can save it to your computer and you can actually fill it out right in the document, which is really cool. And it's just an exploration. It's an exploration into what might the next level of freedom look like for each of us and what are the actions that will help you begin to take aligned steps towards creating more of that freedom in your life. So that is available at takeflightactionguide.com. And my website is FierceFabulousFree.com. And I'm on Twitter at Ask Nisha. I'm on Facebook. People search my name, Nisha Moodley. They'll find me there. 
Great. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience before we uh, we end for today? No, I just want to re restate. I, I feel like I could it could never be overstated the value of being willing to share what's really going on with us with the people that we love who love us. It can be really alluring to think, well, let me just get some traction first. I'm going to read these books. Let me get to get some traction first. I'm going to nail down these habits. And what actually helps us heal the deeper parts, the the reasons behind are, you know, going to therapy, having, you know, great friends, like having these people, human beings in our lives who um, we are sharing, actively sharing with what's going on for us. It'll make the biggest difference. And I think also being able to, when we do need something, maybe sometimes we need just to vent or we just need somebody to listen or maybe we need guidance. And I think even communicating with those people that we reach out to, one, knowing who will be able to support me in the way that I, I need right now and really being uh, intentional with that. And then also when you do reach out, being able to let them know this is what I, I'm needing can be helpful so that they either know how to respond or they can be available to you in the way that that you most need them. Sometimes Mm -hmm. that guidance can be helpful when you are reaching out to people, especially if this is something unfamiliar or or you're in that vulnerable state that you really need a certain kind of response or a certain level of support. Yeah. So thank you, uh, Nisha, so much for coming on today. I've really enjoyed uh, speaking with you and think that this message is really uh, useful for a lot of our audience members. So thank you. Mm, Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm so happy to have been here. Great. So there you have it. I hope you found this podcast as interesting and as informative as I did. And to get access to the show notes and links mentioned in the show, go to truepotentialcounseling.com. And if you like this podcast, if you could please leave a review so I can have more impact and reach more people. It would really mean so much to me if you would just take the time to visit truepotentialcounseling.com forward slash review, and it will take you to the iTunes page where you can leave a review. We have some great guests coming up, such as Kate Merker of Conscious Living and Dr. Suki of Master Your Life. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to Lovecast by True Potential at www.truepotentialcounseling.com. 